You may be seated. I hope that you enjoy having a west parking lot. It's that parking lot that is on the other side of the Fellowship Hall. When we first developed this property, it wasn't there. And in 2012, we decided uh, to build another parking lot and to put it on the west side of the Fellowship Hall. And it looks pretty good, doesn't it? When we were in the process of constructing the parking lot, the engineers discovered that the area right in front of our dumpster pad, which is in the very far south north north corner of the west parking lot, if you can figure that out, uh, it's just over there. That's where it is. But they discovered that the soil was very faulty and probably would not bear the weight of the large garbage truck that would come week in and week out to empty our garbage. We take emptying garbage for granted, don't we, until it doesn't get emptied. And so uh, garbage collection really is a blessing in our lives today, right? Well, we paid extra money for the contractor to improve the soil in front of the dumpster so it would have a good solid foundation. And I remembered the day in the summer of 2012 when they finally finished the parking lot project and it all looked exactly the same. It appeared to be the place in front of the dumpster as well as every other place in the parking lot. It appeared to be a very, very sturdy parking lot, all with a good foundation. We know that, that oftentimes the appearance of something can deceive us, that on the surface and outwardly it might look like every other person or every other thing. It may look perfect, perfectly fine. But yet, underneath, there's a faulty foundation. And here's the principle. At some point, a faulty foundation will be revealed for what it is. Because that which is outward and visible in some way will give way. And that faulty foundation will be seen for what it is. Uh, Today's message is is the ninth message in the series on the parables. And as I said earlier, we'll we'll be looking at this parable that is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at it today as well as next week. And as we've been looking at the parables of Jesus, we've learned that these stories tell us something about the kingdom. And what's interesting is that the Sermon on the Mount tells us many things about the kingdom. Jesus, in the sermon proper that you'll find in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, describes for us what his disciples look like, their character and nature. And then he also gives us instructions about how his disciples are to live in this world as members of his kingdom. And the very last section of the Sermon on the Mount that begins at chapter 7 and verse 13 to the end of the chapter 
are practical implications that Jesus gives based on what he has taught previously in the sermon. So, for example, in verses 13 through 14, as we heard read from Psalm 118, Jesus calls us to enter the narrow gate and to walk the narrow way. That's the Christian life, isn't it? But he says also in verses 15 through 20 that as we, are on, as we go through that narrow gate and as we journey down that narrow way, we will encounter obstacles. And one of those obstacles will be false shepherds or false prophets that will, that will seek to deceive us. In the parable that we have before us today, Jesus, it really is remarkable that Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with a parable that also directs us to aspects of his kingdom. And what Jesus is telling us in, in this parable, it really is a warning to his disciples that as you have gone through the narrow gate, which by the way is Jesus, and as you walk down this narrow way that he has set before us, that is a life in union with, with him, watch out for the, the false prophet that will seek to deceive you. But also in this parable, we apply it also to this. Be careful that you're not self-deceived by thinking you have a good foundation when in reality you have built your relationship with me or your Christian life on a faulty foundation. And what we have here is a very difficult passage. It is a warning that there are those that look like, talk like, appear to be, act like every other Christian that in reality are not. And Jesus in this last parable, this last part of the Sermon on the Mount and the last parable that we'll consider in this series warns us and distinguishes for us a true profession of faith and a false profession of faith. So let's read this parable. Once again, you'll find it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let us pray. God, our Father, today as we reflect upon this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand the truths that you have for us, that you would guard me, enable me to be faithful, and that you would guard us to be faithful hearers of your word, that you might use this, Lord, as a means of preparation as we, in just a few moments gather around the table which so beautifully declares your kingdom and our participation in it by faith in Christ. 
And so, Lord, use this, your word, use this message for your purposes, for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. Well, you'll find the sermon outline on page 5, and you'll see uh, three, three parts. And the first part deals with builders and what they build, their houses. The second part deals with wise builders. And then the, the third part of the sermon deals with the result of the wise builder's work, which is an indestructible house. And so today we want to look just at the first point in your sermon outline. We'll really be looking at the second half of the parable dealing with the foolish builder and what resulted from his folly. And then next week we'll look at points two and three, which are both very encouraging points that the wise builder, the the result of that is a house that is indestructible. And remember, we began the service today with that beautiful hymn, How Firm a Foundation. And in practically every stanza of that hymn, in some way, it it encourages us that God is faithful to preserve and secure us in the greatest storm, that nothing can uh, shake our little house off of its uh, foundation. And the foundation surely uh, will not collapse. So this week is, is a bit more somber purposefully so, more of a warning. Next week will be more of an encouraging, positive reality. Both, I think, are needed in our lives. You know, sometimes Christians that are serious about the Bible kind of take some flack when talking about sin and rebellion and warning and judgment, but it's clearly in the Bible, isn't it? And as we come to the Lord's table, what are we called to do? Examine ourselves. That's a warning that we come rightly to the Lord's table. And so today we're looking at the builders and their houses, how they're similar. And there are four ways I see they're similar. And then there's one way I see that they're different. Then we'll apply that to our lives today. So... Number one, we find that, that these builders and their houses are similar. Now, the, the first similarity is they have similar goals. Consider this. Both builders, the wise builder and the foolish builders, they, their goal was to build a house. And they built their, their houses. And they, they sought to build the very best house they could. We see nothing in the parable that would say that the actual superstructure that was built was faulty. And so we can liken this to all of us here at Covenant or any church and its members coming together with the same goal. And and yes, I know our goal is to be faithful and our goal is to honor Christ, But for the purposes of this parable, our goal is to participate with God in the building of his kingdom, right? Now, here is what the parable tells us. It's not talking about someone who pretends to be a Christian, but they have evil intent. Some worldly person that just wants to come in and mess up the church. Now, 
what Jesus is telling us is that they, there are sincere people that look like Christians, that want to be Christians, that have the same goal as every other Christian to build the kingdom of God. Both true and false believers, according to this parable, may seek to advance the kingdom of God. And it appears that they both have the same goal and same passion. Similar goal. Secondly, it, uh, it's apparent, to me at least, that they built in the same neighborhood. And so they not only have a similar goal, but they value the same neighborhood. Or they, they value the same corporate relationship together. And I, I, I take this tack only because in verses 21, or in verses 25 and 27, it, the parable indicates that, that each of these houses experience the same type of weather. So let's just say that they were close in close proximity uh, to one another. They, the, the two houses value, or the two builders value the same type of thing. And, and I would suggest to you that this might cause us to consider that the Church of Jesus Christ is universal, but we're, we're very different, but yet we're all part of the same kingdom. Not only might believers and unbelievers, those who have a true profession of faith and a false profession of faith, have the same goal to advance the kingdom of God, but they may equally value the kingdom of God. And so outwardly, one with a true profession and one with a false profession look the same. Cannot discern any difference. And then thirdly, a similarity is that they had the same construction manual. They had the same set of blueprints that, that they follow. Verses 21 and 26 tell us that for both the wise builder and the foolish builder, they heard everyone who hears these words. In, in other words, both equally heard the word of God. They heard Jesus' instruction from the Sermon on the Mount. They had the exact same information. Listen, I, I think you'll agree with me on this, but covenant stands squarely and solidly on the Bible as God's authority, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. We base our doctrine on the Bible. We base how we function as a church on, on the Bible. The Bible is our guide. It is our compass. It, it is our set of, of blueprints. And both builders in this parable had the exact same information. True believers and false believers, those with a true profession of faith, a genuine one, and those with a false one, may equally, outwardly, have the same scriptural commitments. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? very difficult to discern just by outward appearances what is underneath or in one's heart, what is the foundation. And then the, the fourth way that they're similar 
is that obviously these houses were diverse. We, we find in verse 24 that the one man built his house, and verse 26 that the other man built his house. So they were their houses. They probably had different floor plans. They might have had different furnishings in them, so forth and so on. But they fit well together. They were in the same neighborhood. And here again, I think this might cause us to consider the church of Jesus Christ as being one, but yet very diverse when you look at members with different gifts and abilities and spiritual gifts under the one head, Jesus Christ. And yet the troubling reality is that those with a true profession of faith and those with a false profession of faith appear from outward an outward vantage point to fit well in this kingdom of God. Diverse, but unity. So that's how they're similar. Just as we look out over the landscape of the church. But now, how are they different? These two builders and these two houses. And there's only one difference. The builders and the houses, with many similarities, differed. And we see the difference, this one difference, in what happens. The text tells us that the same amount of rain fell on both of these houses. The same level of flooding uh, took place. Likely there was wind, and the velocity of wind was the same. You know, they were in the same neighborhood. They were... They were in close proximity uh, to one another. Outwardly, they looked basically the same. And yet one house fell, collapsed, and the other one didn't. And so why was this so? Was it because they used the wrong roofing material? Is it because they, they didn't use the right flooring? Or, you know, they, they should use some other fixtures or they should have used a slab and not have a cross space no of course not it's because the foundation gave way in the one house and it fell now what's interesting is that if we go to the companion parable in Luke chapter 6 we we find a little difference in how Jesus gives this parable that in the parable in Matthew 7 the foundation is either built on sand or a rock. In the parable in Luke 6, one is to dig a foundation down to the bedrock and then build the foundation on the bedrock. And likely what, what commentators believe is going on here is that Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish-Palestinian audience in Matthew 7, and the, he was catering the construction of a foundation to that culture. Whereas Luke 6, likely to a more Hellenistic culture, likely reflecting the construction technique in Asia Minor, which is a little different than, than Palestine. But even though we have these parables, and they're similar, but they differ, the point is the same. That which was largely unseen the foundation was actually the critical part and the one foundation that was faulty gave way that ultimately is what distinguishes these two houses and now the story describes the reason that one house collapsed 
and the reason one house stood. And so the foolish builder then, he heard the same truth in verse 26, and he chose not to follow it. And exactly what did he not follow? I've already alluded to this, that the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus drawing a picture for us of what his disciples look like. And then he tells us how his disciples are to live as they enter through this narrow gate and journey down this narrow way. He sets before them a standard. And his standard is to be my disciple and to live as my disciple in this world and to have a solid foundation your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Remember that saying in the Sermon on the Mount? And what he means by that is that the foundation that will endure is a foundation that is represented as a perfect righteousness. And you know as well as I do, we cannot, on our best day, conjure up enough to have personal, perfect righteousness. But yet what Jesus is referring to, and really what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, is that the Pharisees sought to establish a set of laws whereby if they keep them, they would be able to perform at a level where they would be deemed righteous. And so their foundation was faulty because it was their own personal righteousness. And yet Jesus, time and time again, says, Pharisee, you're so good at, at observing the letter of the law and outwardly conforming to it. But in my kingdom, it's the spirit of the law. It's the heart issue that is primary. And so you can outwardly conform. You can appear to be like every other disciple. But yet, deep down inside... You're corrupt and your personal righteousness, that's what you're basing your faith on and your assurance on, is faulty at best. And so Jesus teaches then in the Sermon on the Mount that it is the spirit of the law that can fulfill. It's the greater matter of his imputed righteousness that covers us and his grace that, en that enables us to rightly observe the law. And, and so the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is a complete manual for Jesus' disciples to enter through the narrow gate and to journey down this narrow way with a solid foundation of, of Jesus' person and work, his saving work and his imputed righteousness. So, for example, one may become spiritually proud because they have not committed adultery. They've not violated that commandment outwardly. And yet Jesus would say that if you look upon another person's spouse with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. And so we see then there's a greater matter that Jesus is teaching here. And so many today are basing their, their faith and their assurance of salvation not on the person and work of Jesus Christ and his pardoning grace and his perfect righteousness, but on their own works righteousness. And Jesus is telling us, as he was saying to the Pharisees, that is a faulty foundation. 
And everything may hold up for a while, but at some point, the storm is going to be such that the foundation will give way and that false profession will be seen for what it is. And so Jesus is, is telling us to look carefully to self-examine our lives and to ask the question, am I that foolish builder? Am I self-deceived into thinking that I have a true profession of faith when in reality I don't? You know, one characteristic of a lack of, of um, or being foolish is a lack of careful planning. And the foolish builder just simply wanted to throw up this house, and even though it was a very nice house, he just simply quickly wanted to throw up the house and enjoy the benefits of, of this house. And if you've seen a construction project, you know that a lot of time and energy is taken in making sure the foundation is done properly. It really is the key to a good, solid building. And so the foolish builder just put up the house, and yet we find he was unwilling to take the time to really look at the important matters of faith. And likely this foolish builder did not rightly count the cost of building a house. He certainly didn't count the cost of making sure it was a solid foundation. And how many people have just become enamored with Jesus, have been moved by, by some aspect of Christianity, and they just quickly receive Christ without really counting the cost and seeking to understand the important matters of faith, the foundation, the foundational principles of what it means to be a Christian, the foundational principles of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the foundational principle of God working sovereignly in a heart and regenerating that heart and causing one to come. To how, many, how many people have fallen in love with doctrine to seek the benefits of biblical knowledge, have fallen in love with mercy and felt energized because they've been able to engage mercy ministry? How many people love music and they feel really alive as they come to church and, and, and sing? How many, like the disciples, counted the cost? And the foolish person rushes headlong into a project to get the structure up for the benefit. And that might describe some who come to Christ, but really what they're doing is seeking the things of Christ or the benefits of Christ without first seeking Christ himself. So where does this leave us? As we consider what Jesus would have uh, for us today. I think where this leaves us is that Jesus is telling us to evaluate our foundation. And I think this is something that, that each of us should do. In 1173 through 1373, architects and construction folk got together and they designed and built what we know today as the Tower of Pisa, except... What they, even though the structure itself is really an architectural gem, as some have called it, it's, it's, a, it's a marvel. But yet today, it leans 17 degrees off center. Why? 
because they built it on bad soil, what some believe is an estuary, and the soil has shifted in the building lanes. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't have to go to Italy to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. We have our own Leaning Tower of Pisa right here at Covenant. Now, Steve and Jim, don't get excited. This is not our architect's doing. It's not really the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's really the sunken track before the dumpster. After, after four years of, have you seen those garbage trucks, those big garbage trucks that lift the dumpsters? After four years of that truck driving in our parking lot every week, just about every week, that area of the parking lot before the dumpster that we thought we had fixed after spending money and shoring up the soil has actually began to give way. And there's a big gully out there. I wouldn't say big. It is big. I've got some. <laughs> yes, it's big. And, and we've got a problem. And this is what I want you to take away. When the construction was completed, that part looked just like every other part. Solid as a rock. And yet, over time, with the stress of pressure, the foundation has given way. You know, brothers and sisters, I think that describes some people who call themselves Christians that have erected their Christian life, so to speak, on the faulty foundation of blank that is not Christ and his teaching. And so this parable really is a warning to us. It is a warning to us to consider the foundation on which our faith and our assurance rest. And for some, that might mean that I I really am, I really do have a genuine profession of faith. I am a true believer. But yet in some way, maybe I'm trying to supplement what Christ has done for me with another little foundation that is just as shaky as the foundation in our parking lot before the dumpster. Or maybe we believe in Jesus, but there are certain areas where it's really functional belief. We feel like by our own performance, we can somehow add to Christ. And so this parable doesn't necessarily apply to someone who is truly outside the kingdom of God. It could apply to someone who is in the kingdom but in some way are living their life on some little faulty foundation that they think is going to get them through. And Jesus said, there's one gate and there's one narrow way. That gate is me and that way is me. And everything else is a way of destruction. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, which in effect is a table of warning, it says, examine yourself. And maybe today, there may be some of us who will say, you know what, I have a solid foundation in Christ, but I am turning from that and resting myself on a foundation that I've created, and God has shown me I need to repent of that. And God is gracious to to repair our foundation 
That is, bring us back to Him. My faith has found a resting place, and that resting place is not some foundation I've made. It's the foundation that has been made for me. And there may be some here today that are basing their entire understanding of being a Christian on something other than Christ. And likewise, this is a time for you to examine yourself. And if you judge yourself to be like this foolish builder, and you know, to be honest with, no, to be frank with you, I'm all, I always seek to be honest with you, but to be frank with you, we're all foolish builders in some way, right? And so, dear one, if you're here today and you determine that you're really not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that what you're struggling with is what a guy like me who's been a Christian a long time struggle with, struggles with. And that is trying to base my life on a foundation that I have built. And it's a faulty foundation. And at the end of the day, the difference between someone who has a true profession and a false, false profession is, all not, is not that great in the sense that even those of the true profession struggle with living by a false profession. And the remedy is the same. It is acknowledging that. It is repenting of that. It is having the courage to do some self-examination and to say, I've been deceived. And I confess that and I turn again to Jesus. Repair my foundation or give me the right foundation. So that when the storm comes, when the rain falls, when the wind blows, the house that has been erected on it will stand. Not because the house is so great, but because of the sure and certain foundation, which is Christ. And so my encouragement to you and to me, irrespective of how long you claim to have been a Christian, this is an opportunity to hear the warning that Jesus gives, to examine ourselves that we would not be self-deceived. You see, the greater deception is not so much false prophet. We, that is a problem. <laughs> but it's our own self-deception. And ask God to deal with us. And if you are here today and you believe that you really don't know Christ savingly, I'm so glad that you are here, as I've said before, but I want you to refrain from partaking of the table. And I want you to come and talk to me. And let's have a conversation about what, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, you're here. And if you're here and you really don't know Christ, you're seeking. And that's a good thing. And my heart, my passion, our heart, our passion, is to help folks like you see what is the sure and certain foundation. And to share with you the love and compassion of Christ the one who will never leave you 
never forsake you, never fail. Let us pray. Our Father, as we reflect upon this passage, I pray that you would work deeply in our hearts. I ask this for myself, first and foremost, and, these, and then for these dear folks here today. Enable us, Lord, to give self-examination. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, would you show us where we are in terms of knowing Christ. And then, oh God, we pray that you would, you would work to repair what is broken, to completely give what is lacking, to, to build that foundation in, in whatever way is needed, that foundation being you. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Supper, for this table before us that so beautifully declares the kingdom of God, the sure and certain foundation, the warning that is given the narrow gate, the narrow way, but also the love and grace and mercies of God and the power of the gospel. Lord, may all these truths and so many more that are yet unspoken today flood our hearts and give us faith to come in a right way to this supper. For Jesus' sake, amen.